Good morning, friends and family. This is Saturday. We're studying in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Um, we're going to go through to chapter 7, verse 24. So, this is entitled, One Man's Faith, One Man's Family. So except for the increase in violence and crime, the times were pretty good. People were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, as it says in Matthew 24, 38. And life was going on as usual. Imagine it, just like in our day, when friends met at the market or a wedding feast, they laughed about Noah and his family. And, you know, they were probably saying, imagine building that big old boat on dry land. Or or they discussed Methuselah, the world's oldest man. He'll die one of these days, mark my words. You know, you could just hear the people talking. Or they talked about Enoch, the man who suddenly disappeared. Strangest thing I ever heard. Can't you just hear people talking like that? Um, People just go on and on and on. And sometimes these, like this particular instances, these were serious things that had happened. The little did the people understand or know. Methuselah was Noah's grandfather, and Noah knew that when he died, nothing stood in the way of God's judgment falling on a wicked world. For over a century, Noah had been warning people about the coming judgment. Note that for over a century, but only his own family had believed him and had trusted the Lord. So then Methuselah died and then things began to happen. One day Noah and his family entered their boat and the rains came. And people would say things like, well, it can't go on forever or... You know, it'll stop one of these days. But you know what? It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And any of you that have read uh, Genesis know that. But anyway, it rained for 40 days, 40 nights, and subterranean explosions discharged more water on the earth even after the rain stopped. So the water continued to rise. And within... Five months, the whole earth was underwater within five months. And everything had breathe, that had breath in it was dead. Everything that is except Noah and his family, Noah and his wife and his family, and the eight people, everybody laughed at they were alive and everyone else was dead. So you know what? What kind of person was Noah? He, he was a kind of person you and I should be and can be as we live in our world today. A believing man who walked with God, see chapter 6, 9 through 13. But the Bible says in verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 8 introduces the third of the generation statements in Genesis. So there are the generations of Noah, verse 9. Noah wasn't a minor character in the story of redemption. He's mentioned 50 times in the nine different books of the Bible. 
The Bible says Noah was a righteous man. This is the first man, not the first man, this is the first time the word, quote, righteous is used in the Bible. But Noah's righteousness is also mentioned in other places, such as Ezekiel 14, Hebrews 11, 2 Peter 2. So Noah's righteousness didn't come from his good works. His good works came because of his righteousness. Amen? So like Abraham, his righteousness was God's gift in response to his personal faith. Both Abraham and Noah believed God's word, and it was counted unto them for righteousness. It says that in Genesis 15, and also if you want to look at Hebrews 11 and Romans 4, Galatians 3. So the only righteousness that God is going to accept or will accept is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's the righteousness of his Son. See 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. And the only way that people can receive that righteousness is by admitting their sins and trusting Jesus Christ to save them. And I I just want to, for some reason, say right here, Jesus is not a religion. It is not about being religious. It is about admitting our sins and asking Jesus to come into our heart and actually having a relationship with him he is a real living person god is a living real tangible person you can feel him you can hear him he can touch you you can touch him so you've got to admit your sins and then you've got to trust in jesus let's see romans chapter 3 verses 19 through 30 or Galatians 2, verse 16. Now, there I, I will say here also, there are a lot of people that have believed on Jesus. They believe that he did what he did, but they don't receive him. Amen? D- does that make sense? I hope it does. There are plenty of people that believe. The devil even believes and trembles, the Bible says. So Noah, anyway, Noah must have learned this important truth from his father Lamech in regard to salvation, who learned it from his father Methuselah, who learned it from his father Enoch. So how important it is to teach our children, teach our grandchildren how to trust the Lord. Noah was a blameless man, it says in verse 9. So if righteous describes Noah standing before God, then blameless describes his conduct before people. Blameless doesn't mean sinless. Because nobody but Jesus Christ ever lived a sinless life on this earth. See 1 Peter 2, verse 21 and 22. So the word means having integrity, whole and unblemished. So it was used to describe the animal's acceptable to God for sacrifice as it says in Exodus 12 Leviticus 1 
Noah's conduct was such that his neighbors, they couldn't find fault with him. Philippians 2, verse 12 through 16. The person who is right before God through faith in Christ, their life is in right standing, ought to lead a life that is right before people. For faith without works is dead, it says in James 2.14. So there should be plenty in your life that's showing your faith. Paul warned about unruly and vain talkers and deceivers who profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. See Titus 1.10 and verse 16. So Noah wasn't that kind of person. Noah was a man who walked with God as it says in Genesis 6, verse 9. And his great-grandfather Enoch had walked with God and was suddenly taken to heaven and rescued from the impending judgment of the flood. And then Noah. Noah walked with God and was taken safely through the judgment. Enoch modeled a godly way of life for Methuselah, and Methuselah must have passed it along to his son Lamech who shared it with his son, Noah. So how wonderful it is when generation after generation in one family is faithful to the Lord, especially in a time in history when violence and corruption are the normal way of life. The life of faith and obedience is compared to a, quote, walk, because the life begins with one step. And that one step is trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So this step of faith leads to a daily walk, which is a step at a time as the Lord directs us. He commands us to walk in love, Ephesians 5.2, to walk as children of light in verse 8, to walk in the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, and to walk circumspectfully or carefully would be the same meaning Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 so a step at a time a day at a time we walk with the Lord and he guides us into his will and he blesses us with his wisdom and strength Noah was an obedient man it says in Genesis chapter 6 one of the major messages in scripture is that we must not only hear God's word we must also obey it. That is a major message in the scriptures. See James 1 verses 22 through 25. So because Noah was obedient to the Lord, his house wasn't destroyed when the storm came. Matthew 7 verses 24 through 27. It wasn't easy it was not easy for Noah and his family to obey the Lord because the, the rest of the population was disobeying God and rebelling against his will. You know, if we could just only imagine uh, living in a day like that and you're the only one, you're the only family living for God. You're the only family obeying God and not rebelling against him. According to Enoch, they were ungodly people committing ungodly deeds in ungodly ways and speaking ungodly words against the Lord God. See Jude 15. I need to go back and study that myself, and I, I meant to do that, but I will. 
So whether it is, whether it has to do with sexual abstinence, using alcohol and drugs, or joining gangs and breaking the law, we we hear a great deal today about what people call peer pressure. So it's it's the excuse for all kinds of illegal and immoral behavior. People use it as an excuse for cheating on your income tax to cheating on your spouse. But anybody who has ever developed godly character has had to fight against peer pressure, including Noah and his family, Abraham and his family, Moses in Egypt, Daniel and his friends in Babylon. So resisting peer pressure means not only saying a determined no to people, but also a dedicated yes to the Lord. See Romans 12, 1 and 2. Most people know that Noah built an ark, and what they may not know is that he also built a godly character and a godly family. Had it not been for Noah's godly family, Abraham wouldn't have been born. You know, we don't think about that sometimes when we read the Bible. Abraham wouldn't have been born, and without Abraham, would there have been a Jewish nation, the Bible, and the Savior? Uh, A faithful man who worked for God in chapter 6, 14 through 22, the, the secret of the Lord is with them, it says in Psalms 25, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him and will show them his covenant. You know, when you walk with God, he speaks to you through his word. He tells you what you need to know and to do. And Christians are more than just servants who do his will. We're also his friends who know his plans. See John 15, 14 verses 14 and 15. God's plan involved three responsibilities for Noah and his family. Building the ark, verses 14 to 17, God told Noah what his task was, to build a wooden vessel that would would survive the waters of the flood and keep Noah and his family safe. So if the cubit mentioned was the standard cubit of 18 inches, then the vessel was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. It had three decks, one door, and a series of small windows. And they would be uh, 18 inches high, right under the roof, providing light and ventilation. So the three decks were divided into compartments, It says in verse 14, where the various animals would be kept and where Noah and his family would live. The vessel was designed for flotation, not navigation. It was just designed to float. It was a huge wooden box that could float on the water and keep the contents in it safe and dry. There was a Dr. Henry Morris that calculated that the ark was large enough to hold the contents of over 500 livestock railroad cars. Wow, that, just think about that, that's huge, 500 livestock railroad cars, providing space for about 125,000 animals. 
And of course, many of the animals would be very small and not need much space. And when it came to the large animals, Noah no doubt collected younger and smaller representatives of those animals. There was plenty of room in the vessel for food for both humans and animals. See verse 21. And the insects and creeping things would have no problem finding places to live on the ark. So trusting God's covenant in verse 18, this is the first use of the word covenant in the Bible. Right here in verse 18. Genesis chapter 6 verse 18. So the word appears often in scripture because the covenant concept is an important part of God's great plan of redemption. God would explain his covenant to Noah after he left the ark. It tells us that in chapter 8, verse 20 through 9, verse 17. So a covenant is in agreement. Most of us know that, that it involves obligations and it benefit it and benefits for the parties involved. So in some of the covenants, God alone is a covenant party. And he makes unconditional promises to his people. But there were also covenants that required his people to fulfill certain conditions before God could use them. God's word in chapter 6, verse 13 through 21, were addressed specifically to Noah. But God also included Noah's family in the covenant in verse 18. Noah didn't become a father until he was 500 years old. You can find that in chapter 5. And he entered the ark when he was 600. So 100 years he, he built on that ark. Now, I might get be getting ahead of myself there. I'm not sure if he built on that for 100 years. Goodness. He didn't become a father until he was 500 years old. 100 years later, he entered the, the ark. So his three sons were still young as far as pre-floods, pre-flood ages were concerned because they used to live longer. So Ham was the youngest son, and Japheth was the eldest, and all three boys were married. The fact that God had covenanted to care for Noah and his family gave them the peace and the confidence they needed as they prepared the ark, and they lived in it for over a year. So God is faithful to keep his promises, and as as God's covenant people, the eight believers had nothing to fear. Gathering the animals in verses 19 through 22, God not only wanted humans to be preserved from destruction, but also every kind of um, creature that would be drowned by the waters of the flood. So he wanted every... He wanted all a part of all of creation to live and to to uh, get through that flood alive to start again but how was Noah to gather such a large, large number of animals birds and creeping things 
God would cause these creatures to come to Noah. See verse 20. And then chapter 17, uh, verse 8 and verse 15, and Noah would take them into the ark, as it says in 6, verse 19. So this included not only the pairs of unclean animals who would be able to reproduce after the flood, but also seven pairs of clean animals, some of whom would be used for sacrifices. Noah and his family not only learned about the faithfulness of God, but they also saw the sovereignty of God in action. And in his sovereign power, God brought the animals to Noah and his sons and controlled them so that they did his bidding. However, this magnificent demonstration of God's power did not even touch, this is sad, did not even touch the hearts of his neighbors, and they perished in the flood. The birds, the beasts, the creeping things knew their creator's voice and obeyed him. But people made in the image of God refused to heed God's call. Pure out rebellion. Centuries later, God would say through his servant Isaiah, the ox knows his master. And he would say, the donkey, his owner's manager. But Israel doesn't know. My people do not understand. It says that in Isaiah 1, verse 3. So during all of this important activity, Noah was serving the Lord, and he was bearing witness to a sinful world. So for 120 years, see Genesis 6, verse 3, God was long-suffering toward careless and rebellious sinners, but they ignored his message and lost their opportunity for salvation. A secure man who, who waited on God in chapter 7, verses 1 through 24 do not be like the horse or like the mule, God counsels in Psalms 329. And Noah obeyed that counsel. He was a secure man who did wait on God. And the horse sometimes wants to rush ahead impetuously, and the mule wants to drag its feet and stubbornly stay back. But Noah... Noah walked with God and worked for God and let God arrange the schedule. In verses 1 through 10, God, um, excuse me, a week of waiting. So since the, this is chapter 7, we're in now, it's chapter 7, 1 through 10. Since the rain started on the 17th day of the second month, as it says in verse 11, it was on the 10th day of the second month that Noah and his family moved into the ark at God's instruction. You know, today we've all got to, every day, not just today, not just this era, as Christians all need to walk close enough to the Lord to be able to hear his instructions. So in verse 1, during that final week before the flood, they finished gathering the animals and putting in their supplies. They followed the Lord's instructions. They trusted his covenant promise. And they knew that there was nothing to fear. David watched a, a thunderstorm one day 
And and from that experience, he wrote a hymn in Psalms 29, telling how he had seen and heard God in that storm as he pondered what happened. Well, David thought about history's most famous storm in the time of Noah, and he wrote, The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever. And that was verse 10 in chapter or Psalms 29. So here the sweeping rain, the echoing thunder, and the flashing lightning reminded David of the sovereignty of God. No matter how great the storms of life might be, God is still on the throne, and he's causing everything to work together for our good. You know, in our, our world today, here in 2020 and 2021, we've been through some pretty good storms here, the storms of life and with uh, this pandemic and um, lots of different things going on, protesters and killings and all that. But you know what? God is still in control. God is still on the throne, causing everything to work together for good. It may not look like it in the present time, but in the long run, it's going to work together for good. Now, that's why David ended his hymn with, The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Verse 11. Those are the scriptures that I read when I'm reading uh, these messages and and going through the chapters of the Bible that just make me want to cry. Not unhappy tears just the tears of the presence of the Lord. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. He doesn't leave us without. He doesn't leave us out in the storm without peace. At the end of that final week of preparation, Noah and his family obeyed God's command and entered the ark and God shut the door and he made it safe. Now, they didn't know how long they would live in the ark at that time. But the Lord knew. And that's really all that that mattered. You know, as it says in Psalms 31, verse 15, My times are in your hands. So one year and ten days later, the same God opened the door and invited them to come out to live on his freshly cleansed earth. And that's in Genesis 8, verse 16. The day of reckoning, 7, verse 11 through 24, the flood was God's judgment of a wicked world. God opened the floodgates of heaven so that torrential rains came down and all the springs of the great deep burst forth in verse 11 so that even the highest mountains were covered by water. God had waited for over a century for sinners to repent, and now it was too late. You know, there's always comes a time that it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late for people. The Bible says just, and I note it down here in Isaiah 55, verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So the rain stopped after 40 days, which would be on the 27th day of the third month in verse 12. However, the water 
continued to rise for another 110 days, and it reached its peak after 150 days. So at that time, the ark rested on a mountain peak at Mount Ararat. You can find that in chapter 8, verse 4. So it would take 150 days for the water to recede, which takes us to the 12th month, the 17th day, two months and 10 days later. So Noah and his wife, they, they left the ark and they set the animals free in verse 14. And from that day that God shut them in, they had been in the ark a year and ten days. A universal judgment in recent years. People who, who want to accommodate scripture to the views of modern science have opted for a flood that was limited and not universal. So they suggest that the writer of Genesis used the language of appearance and described only what he could see. So there are problems with both views, but the limited interpretation seems to be the weaker of the two. So the clear language of the text seems to state that God was bringing a universal judgment. God said he would destroy humans and beasts from the face of the earth in chapter 6 verse 7 and that everything would be destroyed so if the mountains were covered to such a height that the ark could float over the Ararat a range and eventually settle down on a peak then the entire planet must have been completely immersed a person reading Genesis 6 through chapter 6 through chapter 9 for the first time would conclude that the ark not that the ark that the flood was universal but if the flood was not universal why did God give the rainbow as a universal sign of his covenant see chapter 9 verse 11 through 15 that's a good question so why would people in a local area need such a sign and furthermore, if the flood was a local event, why did uh, God tell Noah to build such a big vessel for saving his family and the animals? Noah certainly had enough time to gather together his family and the animals in that area and lead them to a place where the flood wouldn't reach them. God promised that he would never send another flood like the one that he sent in Noah's day. But if a flood was only a local event, God didn't keep his promise. Let me get a sip of my coffee here. Okay, over, over the centuries, there have been numerous local floods, some of which brought death and devastation to localities. In 1996 alone, massive flooding in Afghanistan in April left 3,000 people homeless, and in July, flooding in northern Bangladesh destroyed the homes of over 2 million people. In July and August, if Noah's flood was a local event like these floods, say, then God's promise 
and the covenant, the signing of the covenant and the sign of the rainbow mean nothing. So the plain reading of the text convinces us that the flood was a universal judgment because all flesh had corrupted God's way upon the earth. God's way upon the earth. Chapter 6, verse 12. We don't know how far civilization had spread over the planet, but whenever humans went, there was sin. Wherever they went, there was sin that had to be judged. The flood bears witness to universal sin and universal judgment. Both Jesus and Peter used the flood to illustrate future events that will involve the whole world. The return of Christ being one. Matthew 24, 37 through 39. Luke 17, 26 through 27. And the worldwide judgment of fire, 2 Peter 3, verses 3 through 7. So if the flood was only local, these analogies are false and they're misleading. Peter also wrote that God did not spare the ancient world when he sent the flood, which implies much more territory than a limited area. A patient family, in spite of the devastation of the outside, Noah and his family and the animals were secure inside the ark. No matter how they felt or how much the the ark tossed on the waters, they were safe in God's will. That was the main thing. Patiently, they waited for God to complete his work and put them back on the earth. Noah and his family spent one year and 17 days in that ark. And even though they had daily uh, chores to do, that's a long time to be in one place. But it's through faith and patience that we inherit God's promised blessings. See Hebrews 6 and 12. 6 verse 12. And Noah was willing to wait on the Lord. Peter saw in Noah's experience a picture of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. The earth in Noah's day was immersed in water, but the ark floated above that water and brought Noah and his family to the place of safety. So this was to Peter a picture of baptism, of death, burial, and resurrection. The earth was dead and buried because of the water, but the ark rose up in resurrection to bring the family through safely. Just like Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and he rose again. And through his finished work, we have salvation from sin. Peter makes it clear that the water of baptism doesn't wash away sin. It's our obedience to the Lord's command to be baptized. Matthew 28, verse 19 through 20. That cleanses the conscience so that we are right before God. And that baptism uh, symbolizes our death to the old man or the carnal nature. There was a British expositor, Alexander McLaren, that said, For 120 years, the 
the wits laughed and the common sense people wondered and the patient saint went on hammering, pitching at his ark. But one morning it began to rain and by degrees somehow Noah did not seem quite such a fool. The jests and the, the laughing and joking would look rather different when the water was up to the knees of the jesters and their sarcasms who would stick in their throats as they drowned. You know, so it will be at the last great day. The men who live, live for the future by faith in Christ will be found out to have been the wise men when the future has become the present and the present has become the past and is gone forever while they who had no aims beyond the things of time which are now sunk beneath the let me not lose my place let me back up here a minute while they which had no aims beyond the things of time which are now sunk beneath the dreary horizon will awake too late to the conviction that they are outside the ark of safety and that their truest epitaph is thou fool you know that's so sad because there are a lot of people today that are going to be in the same situation they're not believing they're people not believing the warnings and they are being fools they're not believing they need to get right with Jesus you know people make a mockery out of the the Bible that says um, or the people that have said for years Jesus is coming soon you know when the Bible says that uh, his time is not our time and you know, his, his one day with God is, is a thousand years. And, and there's mockery going on because people say Jesus is coming soon. You try to witness to people and they say, I've heard that forever. But you know what? Jesus is coming soon. One of these days, whether we're living or, or we've already been on, went on to be with the Lord, one of these days, Jesus is going to break that sky and he's going to come for his church and remove the church out of this land. Just exactly like the Bible says he will do it. So it's going to be a sad day. When just, just like all these mockers watch Noah build that ark and build that ark and build that ark and hammer away every day. And they laughed at him. People are laughing today. People are joking today. People are saying, oh, it ain't never going to happen. And, oh, there's all kinds of things that the Bible doesn't say people are saying, you know. It's just got to be almost unbelievable, the lack of belief and faith in the world. Okay, back to our lesson. Let's get off on a rabbit trail there. Um, not really a rabbit trail. I got off on the truth truth of the matter is now is the day of salvation it's time to come to the Lord and we're calling forth every name that is given to us every single name that is given to us and people give us first names of those that are unsaved that they love and they want them to be saved and 
I know we keep track of all those and we're calling forth them into out of darkness and into God's most marvelous light and you know if you have names of loved ones you want prayed for send them our way we will add them to the list so getting back to Noah the three boys are usually identified as Noah's sons and not by their given names so um, we're never told Noah's wife's name or the names of his uh, three daughter-in-laws God's covenant with Noah included all the members of the household. For a fair discussion of both views that leans toward the limited flood interpretation, the book of Genesis and introductory commentary by Ronald F. Youngblood and chapter 10, says, while it is true that the Hebrew word for earth can also mean land. So land doesn't fit with the universal statements in the text, such as chapter 6, 12 through 13, where God promised to wipe out all flesh, and 7, 14, every living thing, he said. You know what? God was not playing games here, and he's not playing games with us now. There's coming a day, and and we should all be able to see it just through history, that we are closer now than we have ever been before to the coming of the Lord. And the days now look closer to what the Bible describes as the end times than ever before. To argue that the building of the ark, I am going to close with this chapter, to argue that the building of the ark was a witness to the people is to ignore what God had to say about the ark, that its purpose was to keep humans and animals alive during the flood. And although the building of the ark surely attracted attention, there's no mention in the scriptures of the ark serving as a witness to the lost. And then as I close, let me close with this. New Testament baptism was by immersion. I think I mentioned this earlier. Picturing the believer's identification with Christ in death, burial, and resurrection. See Romans chapter 6. And saying that, I'm going to close here. And we'll be picking this up at, where did I leave off? Chapter 7. Okay, we'll be picking this up at chapter 7, verse 25. And I'm I'm not sure how far we'll go into the next chapter. But if you get a chance, begin reading at at chapter 7, 25. And read up before we get actually into the study. And, you know, let's seriously study the scriptures and and know what God has said, and know what God is still saying today. The warnings God is still giving today are all throughout the Bible. God bless you each and every one. We absolutely love you who come and study with us and who come and watch some of the videos on YouTube. And you can find that under my name at Gail Manizak.
or you can email me if you have unsaved loved ones and you want to send a first name um, please feel free to you can send it to Gail Manazak 44 or not Gail Manazak you can send it to G Manazak 44 at gmail.com thank you so much and God bless you each and every one you're in our prayers every single night amen God bless you